Bobby, I've known you for a long time, uh, being married to your daughter. Uh, but I know that uh, in helping to start the church and all that kind of stuff, the church has grown a lot since then. Uh, but when I thought about who would be a good champion uh, in the different arenas of life, as we talk about champions and so forth, I immediately thought of my father-in-law. I'm not trying to brown nose you or anything like that, but uh, I definitely wanted to include you in the conversation on champion in the business arena. And again, I know your past, but why don't you fast track everybody from where you started back as a processor to where you ended up retiring from and so forth? Give us a fast track on that. Okay. Well, first of all, that's humbling to be concluded, but um, I guess the best way to do it and kind of do it quickly is uh, a young career, started out in the workplace very young, tried uh, driving a Coke truck and shuffling French fries, and uh, that wasn't where God was going to plant us, and... uh, uh, early in my career, he made a move uh, and moved us to Little Rock, Arkansas, and I joined uh, Diller Department Stores really by getting uh, interested in uh, computer training and placement, which was a programming school, and um, I'm probably the most unlikely kind of candidate for that in that I don't have a college degree. That's not something that I would advise out for anybody else, but uh, uh, that's really kind of where I began, and um, through that, God just uh, blessed the work and uh, my time there, and I, I ran the technology area for Diller Department Stores, and uh, then 1984, God uh, moved us again, and I was very comfortable there at that time, but God moved us, and we came to Northwest Arkansas, and uh, I joined Walmart uh, again, uh, heading up their uh, area of information technology, and was their chief information officer, and uh, had a chance along the way to do a lot of different things, and uh, a promotion totally unexpected came along, and I had the opportunity to Start up and lead Walmart's international division, which I did through uh, 1999, and uh, retired from Walmart then. Uh, still have stayed very active in uh, outside interest and uh, so forth, and uh, really don't ever want to be idle. So today I spend time still in and around the business world, uh, trying to do a lot of different things that uh, I think God's kind of prepared me for uh, right now at this stage of my life. Great. You know, going from, I guess, a uh, I didn't know the fry cook thing or the, the fry delivery thing, but uh, going from a processor uh, Dillard's to the different stops along the way in, in life, what has been, I guess, one of those pinnacle, pinnacle moments in your life, uh, those high points in your life, as you might say it, that uh, you would say beyond beyond position, beyond uh, salary, what has been, I guess, the brought you the greatest satisfaction in your career life? Hmm. Well, I think it's probably, uh, it's easy to probably think back and grab at a at a promotion or uh, an award or an event or something, but uh, maybe a little different than what you're looking for, but I think mine is, uh, uh, is really quite personal because it really involves family as well. Uh, and for me, when I think about that, it really draws me back to uh, our, mine and Margie's 25th wedding anniversary. Um, kind of hard for me to even, even probably tell you about this, even uh, being my son-in-law. But um, I remember uh, standing there that day as we were celebrating our 25 years and, of marriage, and um, our children got up to speak, and uh, they got ready to share. And the first words that they shared were uh, that we were always there. And uh, they probably don't know what those words meant to Margie and I. But, but I think more to your question, um, and for me, that really was uh, a big measurement of success for me in high point uh, in my career because uh, 
You know, I knew I stood there after 25 years still holding the hand of my bride and uh, hearing my children say those words, uh, you know, affirmed to me that I hadn't traded uh, notoriety or financial gain uh, for the relationships that I treasure most, uh, more than anything in the whole world. That's awesome. Along those same lines, because, I mean, I don't know that everybody would say the same thing as that, that kind of high satisfaction. Mm. What, about, what about a person who's in this business world, dog eat dog, all that kind of stuff. How does a person keep that value centered? How does a person keep fame and fortune and, and I guess, popularity and impressive resumes from, from being the objective of life? Hmm. Uh, you know, again, I think there's easy answers because I think, uh, you know, as I think about my, myself, uh, one, I guess you never forget where it all comes from and uh, whose it is. And, and I think even for me, you, you, uh, you have to bring in character. And uh, what is your character about? What's it worth? Uh, never put a price tag on it. But uh, I think the truth is that's tough. Uh, because there are a lot of challenges. There um, certainly were in my time, and I'm not so sure that maybe even today it's not even tougher than I experiences our experiences. Challenges to uh, uh, you know to do things uh, that that you know get you ahead that really are not the right things to do. Maybe you know involve a compromise or something. And uh, you know I think that uh, that's the real world. And uh, I think that you really have to um, you know recognize that uh, it's not about you. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a healthy ambition. Uh, I think that, you know, I probably uh, had a healthy ambition as well. But uh, I know for me, uh, constant, uh, you know, thought and warnings about not believing my own headlines. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess I think about times when, you know, I've stood at uh, conferences or something and uh, the MC was introducing me. And, uh, you know, they'll, people will spend a minute, a full minute, you know, rattling off your titles and uh, your accomplishments, your achievements, uh, organizations you're involved with, all, all these things. And, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is I, I don't believe that um, uh, those things really matter. In fact, I remember one time somebody even said at the end of it all, he said, you know, he's truly a self-made man. And uh, first of all, I mean, I don't believe in such things as a self-made man. Mm -hmm. And certainly not in uh, in my case. And I'm pretty certain that all those other grand things that, you know, come along in your headlines and, and get said as I, that I just shared, I'm pretty sure there isn't anybody out there that really probably cared about those things and wanted to hear them. In fact, the only person that probably enjoys hearing them is my mother. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, let me piggyback on that one. If you were a champion in the business world, champion internationally, champion in the information area, and you're not a self-made man. How do you become a champion? I mean, how does how does one become a champion in the whole scheme of things? Well, you know, I think um, it has a lot to do with uh, you know what you put the highest priority on. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure I can explain it other than uh, maybe it's the way God uh, protected me. Uh, I hope it was out of just because of my faithfulness. But you know, I never really made uh, a particular position. Uh, or a particular amount of money uh, a go. Mm -hmm. It just was not uh, whatever consumed me. Just as I shared about titles and those things, I, I just, you know, I, I think I was fortunate, but at the same time, uh, I think that's what it takes, is um, not to let those things become so important that it's success at, at, at any cost. 
And, uh, you know, along the way, what I learned, and, and uh, it's humbling. But, you know, the truth is, um, in my case, uh, you know, God gave me uh, promotions and rewards that I never even considered. Uh, never prayed for them. Uh, they were just blessings that came along. So, uh, you know, I think uh, you work hard. You be honest. Uh, you be humble. I think you share uh, in your success. And, you know, don't take the credit because uh, it's uh, really not about you. It's about him. And I think that, you know, once you really kind of understand that and uh, you make that kind of commitment, then when success comes and you know that, you know, you've worked hard for something and you attain it, but you know you got it the right way, Mm -hmm. not by cheating, Mm -hmm. uh, not by compromising your integrity or your character or walking on others. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know it's genuine. And when you know it's genuine, uh, you're quickly reminded that you're not in control. (laughs) It wasn't about you. You mentioned a couple of things in there constantly. God, faith, not in control, integrity. Those all have a very common thread that tie them all together. And so in a word, in a sentence, how can a person in the dog-eat-dog world of life and business and striving for more, how can they maintain their faith and their work? How can they blend the two together? Hmm. Um, well, you know, again, I'm not perfect. Um, I never did it always uh, right, and I can't sit here and tell you or anybody that, you know, there wasn't a time when I you know, might have failed to stand as firm in my faith as I should have. But I think when you think about career and faith together, uh, if I had to try and sum it up in, uh, in one sentence, it would probably be... Um, uh, don't leave your faith on the company parking lot. Uh, I think you do take it in uh, and carry it, you know, in the workplace. And, and for me, and, uh, you know, I guess what I would share with uh, anybody else that asks uh, is that, you know, faith uh, was my guardrails. Uh, it's part of what, you know, kept me or if everybody was what kept me from falling, uh, you know, into doing those things that, uh, you know, traded popularity for what was right. And faith, uh, you know, guided me through lots of decisions and uh, relationships. Again, not always perfect on my part, but, um, you know, it's I think you commit to the faith first and you don't compromise it, uh, you know, with a price tag, again, if it's success at any cost or whatever, but that you carry it uh, into your career. And you do that boldly. Uh, In my experience, uh, I have no doubt that probably maybe some people uh, were maybe critical at times, and uh, I certainly didn't uh, please everybody all the time, and I was wrong plenty of times uh, on my own part. But uh, I think in the long run, people uh, respect uh, you when you stand firm uh, and not compromise what you believe strongly in. Looking at champions and what it means to be a champion in life, I tell you what, take your Bibles, we find the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Champions in a dog-eat-dog world definitely do not separate their faith and their work. They are married together. They go together hand in glove. That is definitely one of those qualities that it does not. faith is not compartmentalized. It's in every vein, every decision, every promotion, every attitude, every value, every perspective. It just permeates your life. It's not... An add-on. If you're here and this is your faith exercise for the week, 
you will not be a champion. If you get up tomorrow and you go to your place of employment or you live out your life wherever that is, you teach in the schools or you teach at home or where, wherever you live it out and, and it's not a part of your day in, day out life, you'll never be a champion in the faith. The people we're studying in the book of Hebrews, the hall of faith, is def- are definitely people that lived out their faith, modeled their faith in, in, in every way. Here's a verse for you out of the message, James chapter 2, verse 17 uh, and verse 18. It says this, Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Faith and works, works and faith fit together hand and glove. Now what is it that produces faith? What comes first, the chicken or the egg? What comes first, faith or works? If you're a person who is tied up in religion, you will get tied up into this belief, and I really don't have time to develop it, but you will believe that actions precedes faith. That actually if I do the right things and I live the right way, then, then really faith will come out. If I go to church on Sunday, if I, if I, if I tip God every now and then, if, if I help a, a poor man on the street, then I must be having faith. Well, that's really what you have is religion. And you're trying to muster up enough of a good life that maybe at the end of it all, when it all meshes out, washes out, that your good life will outweigh your bad life and that God will smile on you. That's religion. All right? Faith is not our real Christianity reverses those. Faith produces works. Whenever I have a faith relationship with God, whenever I'm in this intimate love relationship with God, it will produce actions. It will produce certain consequences. It won't, listen, you won't be able to not take your faith into the workplace. If you reverse it and you do actions first, then what you're like a tap, you can just turn off the tap and no longer do you have to take your faith into the workplace. But it's just when, you're, when you turn it on, you turn it on. When the preacher shows up, when small group comes around, or when you get around the, the, the holy people from the church, then you turn on the tap of, uh, of religious jargon and then your faith comes out. Uh-uh. Reverse it. First you have faith. And from an awesome relationship with God, it will produce the actions that, re- that reflect the faith that you have in God. What we're going to look at today is not the hall of actions, but the hall of faith. What we're looking at is the champions of faith, and from the champions of faith, it produced action. Chapter 11 is all about that. There's like 15 or so different people that are mentioned in the book of, uh, of, uh, of Hebrews chapter 11. Two of those, in particular, we're going to look at Moses next week, Abraham this week, get the most playtime. They get the most written on them. Most of them actually may share a verse with somebody else or have a, maybe a two verses at, at, at max. But Abraham and Moses, who we'll look at next week, Abraham, they kind of they, they hog the share. And there's something about Abraham you've got to under, understand is that Abraham is recognized by three major religions in the world as the father of their faith. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Patriarchs in the faith is what Abraham is. He is the patriarch in the faith. He gets a lot of playtime because by all means, he deserved it. He was a hero in the faith. He was a champion in the faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we kind of get a glimpse into his life. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, let's look there today and begin to... uh, uh, look at these men of, 
of a faith walk. They lived out their faith, therefore they were champions of the faith. But verse 8 is where we're going to begin looking there. Verse 8, it says, by faith. Every one of these is introduced by faith. All right, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out into a place which he, uh, which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. You might underscore that last phrase. It is very important. By faith, again, he lived as an alien in a land of promise, in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs in the same promise, for he was looking for a city which was the foundation whose architect and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith, there it is again, even Sarah, that Sarah is Abraham's wife, herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, and she considered him faithful uh, who had promised. Okay, here he is. We've got Abraham being exposed. We've got bringing the whole family in, Sarah being exposed in the life that they live. Now I want to skip through to a couple more verses. Verse 17, because there's some other interplay going on there. But we're going to skip on down because he comes back to Abraham. He wasn't finished. He's like, he kind of got sidetracked. He kept riding on and on and on. And then he comes back to Abraham. By faith, in verse 17, Abraham, when he had tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promise and was offering up his only begotten son. And it was he who, whom it was said, Isaac, your descendant, shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. That's how much faith Abraham had. Even able to raise people from the dead in which he also received back as a tithe. Now what is this all about? What is Abraham that he would get the lion's share of the attention that out of all the people from from the beginning of time to the time, uh, I guess, to the writing of, of the book of Hebrews, that you would list out all the people of the faith that Abraham would get such attention. Because Abraham lived life with an extreme faith. These Michael Phelps and who, what's the lady's name that 41 years old, now my inspiration, Torres or something like that? I mean, now she's my inspiration being in the 40 club. I mean, she's now my inspiration. I hope at 41 I'm able to swim like she's able to swim. I mean, I hope I'm able to do something like she's able to do. I mean, I'm impressed. All right? How is it that these people get to the level that they are to, just to compete at a level? They don't do it by sitting on the couch eating chips. They do it by a life of serious discipline. We talked about discipline last week. I will also extend that out. Extreme discipline, extreme living is how these people lived. Abraham is no exception to that. Our faith, if we're going to have a champion-sized faith in the business world, in the home place, wherever we are, in the neighborhood, we're going to have to live at an extreme level in our faith. Here's a couple of notes to note on uh, four results of what happens whenever you decide you're going to live at an extreme faith. Jot them down. Number one is our personal confidence is shaken. All right? We all like to have confidence in whatever we do, and that's okay. Okay, confidence is good, but personal confidence can be dangerous. It can become your God. You won't do something unless you're confident you can do it, unless you know you can exceed. Unless you allow yourself to be in a position of failure, then you'll never see God working 
You'll only see you working. So my question to you is how much of your life is built on your personal confidence versus built on a God confidence? You know, we like security. We don't want to get injured. We don't want to get hurt. There was a guy named Larry Loudon, Loudon who was a philosopher of science. And for a, a decade he studied risk management. Interesting study came out of that is that, that people try to avoid risk. Sometimes we get into what's called a risk lock, he said in his study. He said uh, he summarized his literature on risk management in 19 principles. The first principle that he realized is that everything is risky. You can't get away from it. Everything is risky. I love that principle because that means living is risky. You're going to do things and they're going to be risky. And it's going to it, Half a million people, if you say, I want to just stay in bed the rest of my life. Half a million people in a year's time will require emergency room attention from falling out of bed. You can stay in bed all your life and you're going to probably live a risky life. All right, did you realize that 10 people every year accidentally hang themselves by the cords of a Venetian blind? Shutting out the world and staying in your house in the bed can kill you. So beware, life can be risky. Life is risky. You can't get away from risk. It's all around us. But the question is, am I going to live at a my level of risk or am I going to be willing to go to a totally new level of risk? To where if I, if God doesn't intervene, I will fail. Are we willing to live at that level? Look at this verse here again, verse 8. He says, By faith Abraham, who was called, obeyed. By going out to a place in which he was to receive an inheritance, I love this next statement, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. There was not an assurance about that. But the key part is that I need you to understand and see in this in his obedience, in his work, that there, there is, there's an element of, I don't know. I don't know where the resources are going to come from. I don't know if it's always going to be safe. I don't know if it's all going to fit together. I don't know if it's all going to be neat and tidy the way I like neat and tidy. There's a personal confidence that will be shaken when we begin to live at a level and again, I told you, don't come back this week, and you, you did it to yourself. If you come back, I said this last Sunday, don't come back this week. If you're looking for some pamsy-wamsy kind of message, that will just make you feel good. This is going to be a series of messages that if you're going to live as a champion, you've got to live as a champion. And a part of that is being able to move beyond my personal comfort zone. Abraham went where, a place that he had never gone before. Do you realize that Joshua said the same thing to the people of Israel before they crossed into the promised land? He says, you have never been here before. We may never experience the promised lands of life unless we're willing to go where we've never been before. But what's the key on this? Here, underscore these two words. You can't can't miss this. The key in this is getting past personal confidence and moving on to God confidence. All right? It's moving on to a God confidence that needs to be in our lives Because it says here, it says, when he was called, obeyed. Would you underscore the word called and would you underscore the word obeyed? Because there is a natural response that needs to be in our life. And that is that when God calls, we obey. If he doesn't call, we don't go. When he does call, we do go. Now the question is whether or not we're going to pick up the phone when he calls. 
Because some of the times we don't want to hear where God may call us. Because where He may call us, it may rock our world. It may shake our confidence. It may move us to a place that we've never been before. It may take us to a level that we are uncomfortable with. It may cause the financial security or the or the personal security, or the home security. It may cause those barriers to come down to where you are having now to depend on God like you never have before. Is God calling you to do something that you've never done before? Go someplace you've never gone before? Give something that you've never given before? Do something that you've never done before? Is it your confidence that you're making that decision or is it a realization that God has called me and I am going to obey? Again, God called, He obeyed. God called, He obeyed. Say it with me. God called, He obeyed. Now say it like this. I will go where God calls. Will you do that? If you do, it will shake your confidence. I can remember whenever we were being interviewed to be missionaries internationally, Of course, they invest about $10,000 in a missionary, moving them around the world, getting their stuff there, training them and all that kind of stuff. It's an enormous amount of money to get a couple on the field. And we were interviewed by no less than, I don't know, six, seven, eight people. I, I lost count. And every time we went into another interview, we thought this would be the last interview. Surely we're not that misfit that we have to go through this many interviews. But they were. They were interviewing us. And every single interviewee would ask us this question. Well, tell me about your call. 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 We really got sick of it and we kind of laughed about it because we were excited about it and going as missionaries because we were confident in our call. But the question was, tell me about your call. And at the end of the day, they told us, do you want to know why? At the end of the day, excuse me, this was a season. These were months that they asked us, over a period of months. You, you want to know why we ask you so many times to tell us about your call? It's because there will be days that you're on the mission field in this foreign country that the only thing that will keep you there is your call. Knowing that this is what God wanted me to do. The sacrifices are being made. The without is being lived. The comfort zone has been destroyed. Everything is shake, rattle, and roll in life. The marriage is in tension. The kids are crying themselves to sleep. And the only thing that's keeping me from going to the travel agent and getting tickets to get on the next plane to go home is one thing. God called us here. And at that point, we're completely and totally on God's confidence. He will... When you live at an extreme level, it will take you to a new level of moving beyond your confidence to a God confidence. Number two, the second result is our comfort zone is disturbed. Now, I've already kind of alluded to this, but look at verse 9 and 10 with me. By faith, he lived as an alien. Underscore or circle that word, alien. In the land of promise. Underscore that word, promise. As in the foreign, underscore the word foreign land, dwelling in tents, underscore the word tents, with Isaac and Jacob, follow the heirs of the same promise, for he was looking, underscore the word looking. Now one thing I want you to notice about this is that God moved them 
beyond themselves to God confidence. God moved them beyond their comfort zone. Because He makes them foreigners in this land. He makes them tent dwellers in this land. They're not living in permanent housing. They're tent dwellers. They're aliens. They're foreigners. They're looking. They're not there. They have not arrived. They're, they're, they're looking for a promise. They don't even have the provision now. They're living in what I want to call, listen to this very carefully because you need to hang on this one. Because champions are made or broken right here. God has moved them from the land of Ur, the Chaldeans, where Abraham and his family grew up, where home was, it's, it's Iraq, and he has moved them, and they are now living in the country, or they're, they're living in Haran. If you look at the very top of the page, they have moved from Ur to Haran, and they're living at that point in this time, and this is what I want to call the in-between. God has promised them something, but He has not provided it yet. And they're living in this valley, this chasm where they are aliens, they're tent dwellers, they're looking for the promise, they're foreigners, they're not settled. And it's very, very lonely and difficult in the in-between. When you're living in the in-between, get ready, champions are made or lost here. Because a lot of people quit in the in-between. They don't go further. They bail. They quit. They look for something easier. See, we like instantaneous. I, I hear a call. I respond. I get my provision. You know, I get my check. I take a job. I get my check. Whatever. We don't like this in-between time. It gets very uncomfortable. It gets very scary. It's very much out of our comfort zone. But we know God's called us in the whether or not we're going to go to the promised land or we're going to go to the, where God is leading us. Now, that's the big question. Do you realize that God told Abraham 45 times, I will? Not I did. Not remember when. But I will. See, Abraham was a giant because he was willing and able to live in the in-between of not having all the answers and not having everything that he wanted and all the toys and all the comforts and all the ease of life. He was living in 45 I wills as promises, not provisions. I just think about the different I wills in my life of God providing and God calling before He even provided. There's a period of time there that elapses. When God called me to the ministry, and again, unless you're living in my skin, you don't realize what a absolutely God, you got the wrong phone number when you dialed this number. Okay, and I had more reasons why He shouldn't call me than why He should call me. I think about the time that, that God called us to Africa, and I've referred to that already, and how that was such a, a shaping moment in our life. And for a year and a half, we lived in the in-between. We knew God wanted us here, but we hated it. And I can think about when God called us back to start a church, and every statistic I read scared me. Every statistic I read said, don't do this, it'll fail. Or if you do this, get ready, you're likely to fail. That was an in-between moment. I don't know when it was that I felt like, okay, this is a sustainable church, but I can remember there were times that I would go to sleep on Saturday night. If I don't show up, it may not make it if I just quit, if I just go somewhere else. Will it continue? We're portable. We don't have anything. Will it continue? I don't know. 
that's living in the in-between. I think about the time whenever God challenged me the very first time. I've never done this before, but it was when we were building this campus and God challenged Lori and I to be as a leader, as a leader should be a leader, step out in faith and model what it means to commit sacrificially over and above the tithe to the ministry budget and actually give to the ministry campus. And the, the number came to my mind of a double tithe. Now, that was a lot more than I'd ever given to any other building program that I'd ever done before. And I didn't know exactly how it was going to come. And Lori and I didn't even bother working it out on paper because it was not going to happen. That would even make it more scary. But it's the point that God was leading us here to do this and to give this double tithe, the tithe of the ministry budget, the tithe of the ministry campus, and we're just going to do it. And God has blessed us personally. God has blessed us in our marriage. God has blessed. These are living in the in-betweens of God's promise and God's provision. Most people quit here. Most people don't go beyond here. That's why we don't always have a bunch of champions of the faith. Because they're not willing to walk there. Without faith, it says in this very chapter, it's impossible to please God. Raymond Edmund, a worthy quote of memorizing and keeping nearby. Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. When God tells you, calls you to do something, you do it. And there's going to be dark days in the in-between. But as you're going in the in-between, just realize, don't doubt in the dark, those dark days, what God has revealed to you in the light. You just keep doing it. You just keep doing it. You just keep making the adjustments. Keep, keep rearranging the priorities. But here's number three. What happens whenever we live with this extreme kind of faith is that our expectations are expanded. When we've been living in this kind of faith kind of life, we now, our expectations, we just begin to see how big God is. We just begin to see how awesome. I even say, I put out in parentheses in my notes, God blows us away. We're just blown away at this point. It's like, oh my land, how can that be? How can that be that you're doing this, God, and, 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 and I'm seeing these results? Look at, look at verse 11 and uh, verse, uh, yeah, verse 11 and 12. It says, By faith even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive. Okay. We've all seen barren women who miraculously God blesses their womb and they're able to have children. But they're not 90 years old. You know, 20-something centuries later, we still as doctors can't figure that one out and can't answer that one, and can't give some fertility drug to a 90-year-old who's past menopause, and to a 99-year-old man who's able to come together and to create a baby. How can that be? By faith, Sarah herself received the ability to receive beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Gosh, to be able to live like that, How can I live in the in-between? Because when I do, God begins to do awesome things on the other side. He blows my expectations out of the water. Begins to do things that I couldn't have imagined even if I thought them up myself. Genesis chapter 18 verse 14 says, Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And that's just a rhetorical question. 
For those who are living, have lived through the in-between, who've gone through that, that cycle of getting past personal confidence, moving past personal confidence into that, into that, yeah, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this comfort zone kind of thing. And God begins to expand us, and then all of a sudden, He busts through and blesses and provides. I mean, they had been promised for years. How long did Sarah and Abraham live in the in-between? I mean, you're taking off the, not the months, not the weeks, but the years. The decades. I mean, this is a promise that Abraham received years ago in his first marriage. How can that be? That 90 years of age, I'm having a baby. There was a long in-between time, but God blew the expectations way out of the water. Andrew Murray says it like this, faith expects from God what is beyond all expectation. I love that statement. Faith expects from God what is beyond expectation. If I can figure it out, rationalize it, work it out on my own, it's not necessarily faith. It's whenever God puts a challenge way beyond my comfort zone, way beyond my personal confidence, and I'm stepping out of the in-between, and then I allow God to provide through that time. Oh, my lands. I began to this week just thinking through this message, pushing back on this message and thinking, oh, my lands. God, I, I really believe in my life right now, where I am right now, I'm not in the in-between time. I'm about to be. I'm sure of it. But I'm living in that blown away expectations. Because what I look at, what God has done at Grace Point, and again, unless you're looking through, living in my skin and looking at through my eyes and hearing the conversations that I'm having, oh my lands, I'm just blown away with what God has done. I just started jotting them down this week and how, People are just spontaneously right now coming to Christ. I've never seen that in, our, in any church that I've pastored. Where people are coming to me saying, hey, my child accepted Christ, or hey, my husband accepted Christ, or my wife accepted Christ, or, you know, I, I've been waiting for two years, we've been praying for this person for years. And, and they're just spontaneously on their own following the Lord. I've never seen that before. I've... We're going to baptize more people this year than we have in the past two years combined. You people are more and more generous than, than any other church. I've never seen a church grow at, at, in double digits. At the same time, the giving grow in double digits like it has. Keeping pace. I've never seen that. Men, this is the one that really blows me away. I am having more men contact me in the past two months Three months, I'll stretch it out. I've had more men come to me, call me, and say, Mike, I need more. I want more. I long for more in my life. I long for more. Listen, I'm not going out looking for men to disciple. They're coming, and they're saying, I want more. It it blows me away. I've never seen men respond like this. Women, a lot more often. Men, not at all. You know, the Lord just continues to add to our church in such a way that we're going to start third service in the fall. You know, am I excited about preaching three times in one day or four times after that or whatever? I don't know. No, I'm not, to be honest with you. You better be here early. No, no, you come late. and you, I don't know which is going to be better. You make it a shorter version in the night version. I don't know. But I'm, you know what? It's one of those things that God just continues to grow us, so what are we going to do? No, 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 no. We're going to stay in our little, little box or we're going to move outside our comfort zone. Listen, I love being blown away, but I'm never blown away until I live in the in-between. Until I go beyond my personal confidence. I'm never blown away. 
When it's all in my confidence, I've got it all figured out. I've got it all worked out. But here's, 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 the, here's the fourth thing that happens. Whenever we live in extreme faith, it even touches the most sensitive nerve in our life. The most sensitive nerve in our life is the element of giving. Our giving has no limits. Our giving has no limits. Did you hear that? Look what Abraham does here. I mean, the child that they've been waiting, he's been waiting 99 years to be a father. Well, not 99 years married to Sarah, but he's been, he's been waiting 99 years to be, to, as a, to be a father to this promised son. And what happens? Verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promise, was an, uh, was an offering up only begotten, Son. He put his son on the altar. If you don't know the story, read Genesis and, and read how Isaac, his, his son, the promised son, the one he's been waiting for, he literally takes him and puts him on the altar as if he's going to sacrifice him. This place was Mount Moriah, the Dome of the Rock, the most disputed land in all of, all of Israel. All the, maybe all the world. Fought over by Arabs. Fought over by uh, seen as a holy spot by Christians, Arabs, and again, Jews. Where Isaac is being laid on this rock, ready to be sacrificed, and Abraham believed. In fact, he was willing to give the most precious gift he could ever give. There were no limits to what he was willing to give. No limits. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for someone you love even more. I don't have time to tell you more. There's so much more to tell you. I, I need to wrap it up. But I want to wrap it up with, with the realization that, that we as a church are given an opportunity right now. And you've, you've heard us talk, if you are a member and have received our correspondence. The challenge before us today is to move beyond simple Convenient giving. The challenge for us is to give like we've never given before, maybe for some of us. And how does generosity fit into the big picture? Watch this video, this last part of the interview with Bobby. Is it all about the bottom line when it comes to satisfaction in life? Or do you actually find inside of you a joy in generosity? Hmm. Uh, I, I think the answer is absolutely. Um, you know, whoever said, um, you know, that uh, a life is not about what you give, but what you give, uh, I think said it all. But I think also, uh, you know, lays claim to uh, where joy really comes from in life. I mean, it's it's blessings that we share, and again, we do it out of uh, out of obedience. But we know we're pleasing God when we show Him that we're still trusting uh, in it all to Him, uh, whether it's in abundance uh, or not, and. Uh, you know, the one thing I think we've learned is, um, you know, even the generosity and the giving is that God puts no limits on when or where uh, or how that he'll direct us to give. And he just, uh, he has his own ways that, you know, he brings things across um, uh, across our paths. Uh, we certainly don't do it for uh, uh, anything for ourselves. Uh, you won't uh, You won't find us ever with any desire to have our names on plaques or, Certainly not buildings, or we really don't like it if it shows up on a list because I, I don't think that that's scriptural as well. I think that 
the glory goes to God. And there's uh, always great joy, I think, in, uh, in doing what he asks us to. And, you know, Margie and I have talked about this uh, many times before, I think, you know, even in Scripture. Because uh, in Ephesians, I don't remember exactly where, but I know where Paul talks about work. Because I'm one who believes in the hard work ethic and, and the work. But we're really called to work. And we're work so that, uh, or we're called to work and do things uh, so that we'll be, you know, useful. And that we'll have something that we can then share uh, with others in need. And uh, so the truth of the matter is, whether it's the work that I did or anything else, God has blessed us. And I think he's you know, certainly blessed our faithfulness in uh, in giving. And if there was anything that ever make us uneasy, I think it would ever be if we... Uh, uh, weren't being uh, generous with what he's provided. Uh, he's uh, always bringing, uh, you know, new opportunities across our path. And uh, one thing that we know uh, for certain is even that giving is not any different than it was in our early years as a couple and, and trying to figure out how, God, will we give that and where will it come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just try and remain sensitive to mm-hmm. do what God asks us to do and give where he asks us to give and uh, not withhold a penny and uh, just trust that uh, he'll provide. Uh, And he does, and uh, you can't outgive him. (laughs) Well, you all have clearly grown in the grace of giving. You support orphanages in Africa. You've helped missionaries all across the world, and you've helped in many ways at Grace Point even. How does a person get there? I mean, that's not something generosity, selfishness is natural. Generosity is unnatural. It's supernatural. Kit, how did you all begin, you and Margie, begin that giving process for your, for your family? Hmm. Well, again, first of all, um, you know, we, we, we work at it all the time, too. God continues to prick our heart. But in the very... Uh, Young part of uh, of our married life, uh, you know, we we learned about tithing from the pulpit, uh, no different than how you know you teach it. And again, it's um, about obedience and so forth. But uh, we had a Sunday school uh, teacher that uh, I know Margie and I both will remember forever because he had a, a profound impact uh, on us. His name was Tommy Hayes, and uh, it was in a Sunday school class with young couples uh, one Sunday that he challenged uh, everyone in the class. Uh, that if we weren't tithing, to begin tithing. And he made a guarantee. He, uh, he said, if you'll tithe for a year, uh, if after the end of the year, if uh, you don't feel that you're happier and uh, pleased uh, with what has happened and how God's using you and blessing you, uh, I'll refund your money personally. Uh, Tommy wasn't a wealthy man, uh, but that had a, a big impact on us. And not just because somebody said that. But it really challenged us, and you know, the tithing uh, is something that you know now we've been faithful at for more than 35 years, and uh, and then the tithing is just a start, because uh, after that you find out very quickly that God will show you again that that's not all that He wants, and it's not uh, just it's all He wants; it's how He'll use you. Uh, so you know, I think uh, making that first step of commitment and realizing that um, you know God is faithful uh, when we are. And um, I don't mean to tell you that even after, uh, you know, uh, higher income levels or whatever, that that sort of got any easy or that we never stared at the checkbook and wondered, God, how are you going to do that? I mean, how will we do that? Uh, but, uh, you know, again, I think that's what he calls us to do. And he's faithful to, um, to provide when we are obedient. And, again, the joy comes, comes with it. Champions are givers.
Champions are givers. Abraham would put his son on the altar. I've never met a man who's a giant or a woman who's a giant in the faith who was not generous. Um, we make no bones about it. We're asking our members to be faithful. I've asked our trustees. I've asked our deacons. I've asked our pastoral team to step forward and be leaders in this, to give a double tie. Now, if you're a guest today, just kind of zone out for a second. But our members, I'm challenging you to do what maybe you've never done before. There's a card that was in your bulletin. You can fill it out, drop it in the offering basket. I'm going to lead the way, and I'm going to put mine in my offering envelope, and it's going to be right in there with everybody else's. First part of it, let it be the ministry budget that goes to the ministry of the church. Second part of it, let it be what goes to the building campaign to finish off. This is just an example, just a challenge. The way we're going to do this, I'm going to ask our ushers to come in just a moment. But I want a praise band to come right now. And I want us to sing. Because how, how, do, you, how do you get into this? I mean, you got Bobby, well, he gave an example of I can give other examples of that. But, you know, the, the way you do it is you just like ripping a Band-Aid off. Just do it. Just rip it off. Just be committed to it. All right? And everything. Let it be everything. I want the praise team to sing this song, Everything to the Lord. Let it be your prayer, your commitment. Ushers, go ahead and come at this time.